Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Banter on the Parkway. I am your host, Brian, from BannersOnThePartway.com. I am joined, as always, live from his closet. It's Danny DeVito's evil twin, Brad. How you doing, Brad? <laughs> Don't take a drink. I always introduce you first. Why are you taking a drink during introduction? Because you introduced me as looking like Danny DeVito, and I was rocked for a second there. I needed some tea to kind of recenter myself and decide whether I was going to say something really hurtful back or just let it slide. And I've I've gone with let it slide partly because that was so mean. I'm I'm too rattled. But Danny DeVito is a nice guy from what I got. Anyway, <laughs> um, wow. Try and give a guy a compliment. Try and say you, you look like a celebrity, and that's what I get. Uh, we're also uh, joined by Joel, who I, I feel like if I compared your looks to a celebrity, you'd probably take it as the compliment it was intended. I would. You used to uh, tie me in pretty closely with John Lovitz from time to time, and I understood it was coming from a place of affection and not of hurt, and I didn't even need tea to uh, swallow that particular pill, because I know you care. Right. I mean, Danny DeVito was Batman. Oh, no, wait, he wasn't. He was, he was in a Batman movie, though. Uh, so in, uh, in, in Xavier news, Xavier uh, finished the regular season at 8-11 and 11 in the Big East. So um, after that big long streak, uh, 36 straight years of being 500 or above um, in conference, Xavier's now at four years of being 500 or below. Um, which I think a lot of people point at and then point at other things that have been true for the last four years and draw some pretty harsh conclusions. Uh, but I digress. <laughs> um, so Xavier heads into postseason play. They're sitting at um, 51st in the Ken Palm. They peaked at 18th uh, this year, which uh, is pretty high. Um, that was way back on January 19th. Um, so. They've not finished strong, um, is the case I'm going to make. Uh, but, I mean, there's plenty of college basketball to watch this week. I, I think um, championship week is kind of the, it, it's a great way to gear up for March Madness. You know, it, it's almost, I would say, probably like the second best um, college basketball week of, of the year. Um even more so for me than the Sweet 16 Elite Eight weekend, uh, because there's so much college basketball and um, there's a lot of meaningful college basketball. So five teams have already punched their ticket. Six more are joining them today. Um, in the Atlantic Sun, uh, their championship game was played today, and uh, it was Jacksonville 72, Bellarmine 77. Uh, which means, of course, Jacksonville State goes to the NCAA tournament. So that, uh, I don't know, that had to be a weird one. I've been part of, and I know, Joel, um, you and I were part of a college baseball team, although you got to wear a uniform and I didn't, um, where we found out on a bus ride that uh, the team that was competing with our team for the championship had lost. And so coach announced on the bus that we were the uh conference champions which was a weird feeling 
to find that out in a uh, in a tour bus. But uh, it's got to be odd to be watching a game to see if someone else can win and put you into the tournament. But um, we had a classic last night, though. <laughs> Chattanooga versus Furman. This was uh, the SoCon final, and this one was two teams that are not going to get an at-large bid. Um, it's the one and two seeds in that conference. It was a really well-played game. Brad, um, I know you were watching it. I mean, just can you walk us through the narrative of that game? Because it was uh, up and down, and um, both teams really probably had points where they felt like they had it in, in hand. Yeah, and the point where Furman thought that they had it in hand was probably halftime when they had held Chattanooga to 16 points in the first half and had a 10-point lead. And then they scored the first bucket coming out of the half to go up 12 with under 20 minutes to play. I mean, their their winning odds at that point were 85%. I mean, you're in a really good spot unless you do something really bad for your chances of winning, like allowing a 24-4 run immediately after that, um, which is exactly what Furman did. So then Chattanooga was in a really good spot um, and surely felt like they had the momentum and were uh, starting to consider, you know, first round matchups and things like that. And then Furman came all the way back and tied the game with just some bonkers play from, I think, a guy who, I mean, listen, I love college basketball. I watch a lot of it. I had not spent a lot of time watching Mike Bothwell tape this year, um, but Mike had an incredible game for Furman. He hit a couple of step-back three-pointers at the end. He dragged his team into overtime. Twice in overtime, he gave his team in the last uh, lead in the last minute. But uh, Mike got a little over his skis um, on the last possession. And rather than waiting for seven seconds, went for the rim at about 10 seconds, um, which I have told teams I've coached and have told my kids Always wait for seven. You don't want to give them time to dribble and heave, uh, which is exactly what Chattanooga did. And David Jean-Baptiste got to probably about 28 or 30 feet and threw up what I'm sure he's going to say was a shot. But his release on it looked a lot more like kind of a push-heave thing that caught nothing but nylon. And unfortunately, he hit it right over Mike Bothwell, who right up until that point was going to be the hero of the game. Bothwell collapsed. Jean-Baptiste did the decent thing, which is run around like an absolute maniac. Um, He did not act like he had been there before, nor should he have. Um, That's why I watch these games, is just to see some dudes who know that this is their one chance win something. And, I mean, he took off. He went sprinting. He did kind of like a half loop of the court. He threw his shirt somewhere, and then eventually everybody tackled him. It was really cool. I'd wanted to see Furman win just because I had um, become really – like a Mike Bothwell fan in the 45 minutes of basketball <laughs> I played this year. I texted Joel in the last minute, man, Mike Bothwell is a killer. And it turns out he is. It's just not quite enough of one. Um, it was a great game. It's everything that's fun about March. It's everything, like you said, Bri, but that makes championship week so much fun. Um, jumped off my couch and yelled. My kids came running from their upstairs and downstairs bathrooms or bathrooms, bedrooms to see what the, uh, commotion was about and i mean it was it was a lot of fun a really good game i'm looking forward to another couple weeks of this yeah that was um listen if you're a parent and this is just my unsolicited parenting advice but if you're a parent this week let your kids stay up 
Uh, there's nothing they're going to learn in the first couple of periods of school that they can't do without. Um, but emotional durability is forged in the fires of picking a team, falling in love with them, and then watching what happens to them over 40 to 45 minutes of basketball. Um, you know, Bothwell, Brad said he went a little early, and he probably did, but uh, he had a lane onto his strong hand, and it's hard to turn that down with 10 seconds left. When his layup dropped through the basket, uh, his team had something on the order of an 87% win probability. Like, if you'd have told Mike, hey, man, I'm going to give you a 7-8 and eight chance of winning this game, he'd have probably taken it. Uh, all my kids were watching that with me. We had just kind of randomly selected teams to pull for. Me and my second-born, who's seven, were cheering for Furman when that uh, running soccer throw-in by Jean-Baptiste caught nothing but bottoms. Uh, he immediately broke into tears. Half the te- half the family was exultant. Uh, you know, I took him upstairs to tuck him in. And he's like, why do the teams I cheer for always lose? And I was like, did you do me a favor and pick Butler on Wednesday? Uh, I was like, um, who was that team you were cheering for, man? And he goes, I don't know. They were wearing purple. I was like, can you name any of their players? And he goes, no, but they were my favorite. And that, I mean, that that sums up championship week and March Madness for me. Uh, you pick a team, they become your favorite. Sometimes it's because you picked them on your bracket. Sometimes you end up cheering against what you picked on the bracket once you've uh, burnt that thing and are just enjoying life. And, uh, you know, I don't know where else you get that. Professional sports, I don't know if it scratches that itch for some people. It doesn't for me. And uh, I don't think any other college sport quite gets it the way these two weeks in March do. And, uh, you know, the the great thing about that game is that we immediately move on to watching, you know, Bryant Wagner or NKU Wright State or whomever's on next and uh, go through the whole, whole rigmarole again. Yeah, which, um, you know, as we're recording, those games are are currently live, although the NKU Wright State is the only one that's in any doubt um, because um, Wagner's not. I don't think they're going to put on a 34-point a run here in the last four minutes. You never know. Um, you do never know. So, anyway. Um, yeah, so, I mean, tickets are being punched. The one thing that you always have to look out for during championship week if you are a team in Xavier's situation, um, which is on the bubble, is if the bubble uh, starts to shrink, if there are bid thieves in some of these smaller leagues. So, Joel, um, can you just update it? Uh, obviously, uh, the games tonight aren't final, but after tonight, there will be 11 teams in. Have Has there been any bid thievery up to this point? Um. You know, the Missouri Valley, I think, was the one where there was a chance something like that might go down. And uh, obviously, Loyola Chicago won that one. So I don't see the the bubble having shrunk too awful much so far. Murray State is another team that probably was going to have at-large consideration, but they've uh, acquitted themselves well in the Ohio Valley. Uh you know, a couple, couple things to look out for might be coming out of the Atlantic 10. Uh, Davidson is going to have a chance to, uh, they're probably in either way. So if the A-10 tournament comes down to somebody not Davidson, 
Uh, that's obviously going to shrink the bubble. But as far as, um, you know, auto bids go, there's, uh, you know, every year people say it's a historically weak bubble. This year, I don't know that it's necessarily historically weak, but I think it's probably historically friendly. Um, you know, Houston's in either way out of the American, looking at these mid-major leagues that uh, might have some bid piracy going on. Colorado State is somebody to keep an eye on out of the Mountain West. Um, I think they're definitely in. San Diego State is definitely in. Uh, Wyoming is really close to the bubble there. So if it, if things start getting real squirrely in the Mountain West tournament, we might see the bubble shrink. But, you know, those are the things to keep an eye on as a Xavier fan. But it comes down to uh, can the Muskies do what they need to do? Because if they go out and, uh, you know, lose to Butler tomorrow, Selection committee might still do them a solid and extend their season by one game, but, uh, you know, it would be hard to say really that they got hosed if a, a bid thief takes their spot. So um, X has to execute, play on words there, but really more of a play on letters. And uh, if they do that, they'll be fine. And if they don't, I honestly think a loss to Butler drops them out of contention anyway. Um, but certainly a loss to Butler coupled with something out of the Atlantic 10 or uh, the Mountain West going wrong or somebody making a really unlikely run out of the American uh, might see Xavier checking NIT sites. And I think one of the things you mentioned there is the A-10 and a little pet peeve of mine, and this isn't a big thing, are conferences that play their conference tournament final on Selection Sunday. I can't stand it, especially the Big Ten schedules there's late and has it on CBS. It always runs into the selection show. By 6 o'clock on Sunday, I'm usually like a sweating bundle of nerves with an upset stomach. I can't take like an interview with Bo Ryan in which they ask him innocuous questions about how happy he is that his team just won. Like I would pull my hair out if I had any left. I pull out the hair of people who are sitting next to me. I'm like, just get us to the brackets. I think... There are 15 bids being decided on Saturday. Throw those four from Sunday in on there. Call it championship day and just go nuts. And then all Sunday can be ESPN and CBS and everybody ramping coverage up to the selection show, which will actually start on time. And then I won't have to worry about having an aneurysm. Mm. Mm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that was Brian. <laughs> Nonverbal way of saying he doesn't care. I, I zoned out because um, I'm I'm emotionally preparing myself to watch and see if my Jack Bunnies can can make it back for the first time since Mike Dom departed. Um, so that's something to look out for. South Dakota State putting it on the line. Anyway, uh, Xavier uh, was in, in action this past week um, on. Wednesday, they went to Carneseca Arena, and uh, as has been their want uh, in Carneseca Arena um, lately, they they laid a bit of an egg. Uh, it was St. John's 81, Xavier 66. Uh, Brad, I mean, other than the size of the gym this was played in, was there anything to differentiate this from the first St. John's victory over Xavier this season? 
Nate Johnson played in this one. Uh, it kind of left me a lot of work there. I mean, once again, Xavier was kind of in it and then wasn't in it and then kind of down tools at the end, which I think is kind of alarming to watch um, when a team admits defeat, uh, which Xavier has done twice against St. John's now. I mean, Colby Jones had a decent game, but this was just a really, really poor effort. Coming into this last stretch of five games, we just kept saying Xavier's just got to, I mean, even six games, really. Xavier just has to win one and then beat Georgetown. Win one and beat Georgetown. That shrunk, you know, they didn't beat St. John's the first time. Still got to win one and beat Georgetown, you know, and then they didn't beat UConn and didn't beat Providence and didn't beat Seton Hall. And this was their final chance to solidify a bid by getting a decent win and then beating Georgetown. And in, in five straight attempts to do that, they came up short five straight times. Um, I, we could break this game down, but Xavier just played really, really badly. They couldn't solve St. John's defense. They tried to shoot over the top of it this time. And they went five of 30 behind the arc, which is atrocious. Um, it just, it was a bad game. They weren't really that much better. I mean, they were better, but inside the arc, they shot 44%. That's also really bad. You can't win games shooting like that. Mike Anderson outcoached Travis Steele um, twice. Xavier never made the adjustments. And it was move on to a game against Georgetown that they absolutely could not afford to lose. I will say one adjustment I thought I saw uh, Xavier make, obviously too late for it to really make any sort of a difference, was uh, out of the first half, or I'm sorry, out of halftime, they came out, Zach Fremantle immediately scored, uh, then his dude immediately made a three. Uh, we got a free throw the next time down, Fremantle's dude immediately got another three. Uh, it ended up being an 11-point run for St. John's, all right on Zach Fremantle's head. And Coach Steele took him out. We didn't see too much of Fremantle the rest of the way. Uh, he played 18 total minutes in that game. And I think that – and we'll talk about Fremantle a little bit later. But as a guy generally who knows his optimism will be what kills him, I think I saw – uh, the first signs of Coach Steele being willing to pull a veteran starter who was underperforming. And, uh, you know, it wasn't enough to resuscitate Xavier in that game. But if Steele is seeing or maybe admitting that there are certain players or certain sets or, uh, you know, certain approaches Xavier cannot defend with Fremantle on the floor, and he is willing to sacrifice Fremantle's playing time to adjust to that, uh, that might be a step that is the silver lining of the cloud that was that butt kicking at Karnaseka. Yeah, I mean, um, is Mike Anderson a good coach? No, I actually think Mike Anderson's a really good coach. Um, so that brought us to Saturday where uh, Xavier played host to Georgetown. Now, I think part of Xavier's problem is they didn't get there their get right win at Georgetown, which everybody else in the Big East got. Um, but Xavier uh, won that one by a score of 97 to 75. So I guess the question is, did uh, was that Xavier getting healthy? Was that Xavier setting some things straight? Or was that just the final thrashings of Georgetown putting together what a lot of their fans are calling the worst season in their program's history? 
and according to Ken Palm, not quite the worst season in Big East history. I mean, it's this is not like it's hard to take, like you said, too much away from this game. Xavier would have had to come out and lay a catastrophic egg to lose to Georgetown. So I guess what we figured out here was that even after losing a handful of consecutive games, Xavier had not entirely forgot how to play basketball. Um, you know, somebody tweeted at us and said that they thought Xavier was gassed after Providence in the Seton Hall game and that St. John's is just a bad matchup for us and that we are not as bad as things looked during the five-game losing streak where things looked really, really bad. I don't know if I'm quite that positive, but um, for 40 minutes, it was fun to pretend against Georgetown. And, uh, you know, X opened up a can on them. It it looked like a bye game. It made me a little bit sad because Georgetown is one of the fan bases that I've had a, a lot of fun interacting with on Twitter. And they're one of the teams that uh, I was really looking forward to playing as Big East rivals. And now this is less like Big East rivals and more like, uh, you know, the one game a year, the guys who are eventually going to redshirt get to play in before they shut it down. I mean, it was just, it was ugly early. It was ugly through the middle when Xavier stopped playing defense and it didn't matter. And uh, it was ugly late when Xavier cleared the bench against a conference rival to uh, get all of the walk-ons into the game. Uh, Sing and Sweetie got their first points of the season. Spencer Cody got a board and a dime. Um, you know, obviously great moments for those guys, but realistically, I think this is more a reflection on a uh, 19th data point set of low points for Georgetown than it is anything Xavier did uh, super well. Except for Nate Johnson, who is 7-11 from deep and made me very, very happy. Yeah, I mean, what do you take away from this? I mean, Georgetown is horrible, guys. I, I, I was afraid coming into this game, honestly, because I thought surely Georgetown is not actually worse than Norfolk State and something tragic is going to happen and we're going to lose this game. And after 10 minutes, I'm like, God, oh, these guys are awful. I mean, they're awful. Aminu Muhammad's pretty good. Dante Harris, I think, should transfer somewhere where he might get like a, a real coach. But I, they're terrible. Just terrible. I mean, they're just a really bad, not to sound like Charles Barkley here, but I, man, if Xavier had decided to bother playing defense in this game, they could have won it by 40. And I think that they didn't solely because the game was decided at halftime. Yeah, uh, it's kind of confusing to watch a high major team that's that bad, Um, you know, that didn't win a single game. And I mean, like you said, Aminu Muhammad came in with a lot of hype, and that's not to say he didn't play well. He was a consensus pick for Big East Freshman of the Year, Um, but... I mean, you have the best freshman in the league and you can't win a single game. That's, um, I don't know. It it was confusing, like I said. So the other thing that came out of this, and and we'll probably talk a little more about him later, though, was Nate Johnson did shoot seven of 11 from three. Um, Is there hope that Nate's rested up and he's going to go back to being the shooter that he was at the beginning of the season? Um, You know, do you think that that's a possibility, Brad? 
I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I cannot logically think about this. Um, Joel said he's an optimist. I play the role of a pessimist on here, but I was watching that, watching that game, and all I could see was Nate Johnson shooting the ball like he did against Virginia Tech. Um, and also getting at the rim, he was really aggressive off the bounce. You know, an injury is never a positive indicator. But if his knee is good, and if that has given him some time to let his legs get a little bit of bounce back into him, uh, Xavier is Nate Johnson away from being able to beat teams like Ohio State. Um, that's really all there is to it. Xavier is an excellent team when Nate Johnson plays and makes shots. So if Nate Johnson's going to play in March and make shots, then, um, you know, we're still going to be watching this team in a couple weekends. If, you know, he's got, if he can't get the leg going, can't get the stroke going, then, uh, you know, we're going to be watching that team that slid to 0-5 again. But when he's hot, Xavier can be literally almost anyone. Um, they're a top 25 team easily when Nate Johnson is on. If this was some sort of, you know, a return to form and he's about to turn this super senior season into his, you know, Dante Jackson, Stanley Burrell, Wally Zerbiak would be great. Swan song. Um, then yeah, X can play for a while. All they need him to do is knock down shots and for he and Adam Kunkel to apparently be best friends out on the court, which I thoroughly enjoyed watching. <laughs> so did Joe Sunderman, by the way, he could not get enough of them dapping each other up and, um, I listened to the game and then watched the highlights. And I, we say this all the time. Byron and Joe are just an awesome tandem. The amount of times that they talk e over each other and they both start laughing. It's nice to listen to two guys who really enjoy the game. And they were having a blast watching Nate and Adam Kunkel interact with each other out there. For sure. And not just enjoy the game. They clearly enjoy one another's company as well. Um I was listening to the Providence game, um, you know, <laughs> when it wasn't actually a game, it was a uh, exercise in seeing how many towels they could use rather than putting a trash can out to catch a water drip. Um, <laughs> and so those guys were just filling time. And, um, you know, it was, I mean, obviously I was dying inside because it was two two minutes left in the game and Xavier was leading, but... Uh, it was it was good to listen to because uh, they they were just you know chatting about the game chatting about life. Um, they're they're two of the best. So um, Brad, I mean, obviously going into this week, it's a somewhat familiar position for Xavier because they're playing on Wednesday in the Big East tournament with a must not lose game. Does beating Butler get them in, or do they need to this week? There's a couple different ways of looking at this. Let's start with looking at it uh, in a negative light. If Xavier beats Butler and you use Bart Torvik's projections, that gives them a 37% chance of making the tournament because obviously if they just beat Butler, that means they lose to Providence. 37% not actually as bad quite as it sounds. That puts you right around that cut line because even Bart Torvik has a hard time projecting exactly what the committee is going to do with those teams right around the line. But if they only beat Butler, um, I think we're sweating out a selection Sunday again. Um, the last time I recall us doing that, we were the last team announced, and that was uh, that was a rough watch. Um, I was at work that night. I was, didn't get a whole lot of work accomplished uh, in that first hour. Um, 
on the other hand, you know, Heat Check, uh, CBB, who I highly recommend checking out, has some of the most accurate bracketologists since bracketology has been a thing. And also they put out great content. Um, they said Xavier will face Butler in the first game of the Big East tournament. The Musketeers need that win to avoid profusely sweating out Selection Sunday. That matchup is one of the most important of the bubble of all week. Um, I think they're implying that Xavier can get in just by winning that Butler game. And also that if they just win that Butler game, while the sweat might not be profuse, it will be there. Um, I personally think Xavier needs to. I think they have to beat Butler and beat Providence to get in. I think if you do beat just Butler, um, you're looking at Dayton. And no one should ever be looking at Dayton. Um, I mean, it's a big two days coming up. That Butler game is absolutely must win. If you lose to Butler, it's over. The season's done. Um, you may go to the NIT, but losing to Butler eliminates any chance of making it off the bubble. Um, that would be it. Would be a bad loss. It would mean Xavier had lost six of seven in the midst of a catastrophic stretch. Um, got to win Wednesday to have a chance. Probably got to win Thursday to get in comfortably. I think if they go one and one. Uh, that puts you in the unenviable position of going through championship week, pulling for chalk. Uh, you know, Xavier's right on the, the cut line. There's some teams that are really easy to cheer against right there. I would be happy to see Notre Dame lose and then fold their program. Uh, Miami, Florida, I'm ambivalent about. I like the story that Wake Forest is this year. But, I mean, Wyoming? Yeah. I don't know how you cheer against Wyoming. Uh, Rutgers has been a really fun team to watch. Uh, Ron Harper Jr. is dummy thick and has hit some clutch shots. Uh, Southern Methodist I could do without, but VCU, um, you know, there's there are some teams in there that you um, you're just going to have to pull against if Xavier splits. Uh, like Brad said, if they go 0-1, cheer cheer with your heart because it doesn't matter. Um, but if they go one and one, uh, you're going to have to dig deep, find find some hatred, and pull for chalk, uh, because that's how Xavier would find their way in. Uh, if they manage to beat both Butler and Providence, I'll be one happy lad, and uh, I won't have any concerns heading into Selection Sunday. Gotcha. Um, another scenario I'd just throw out is if Xavier wins the Big East tournament, I think. Oh, they're in then. Yeah, I think they'd probably be in. You know, uh, some people might debate me on that. They might think they don't merit it, but I, I would say I would put them in if they win the Big East tournament. So that's just me, though. Um, so we'll see if that prediction comes true. Um, so, Joel, I mean, one of the, I guess, one of the big points of discussion as people look ahead toward postseason play for Xavier is the play of Zach Fremantle. Um, you know, he's coming off foot surgery. He did not start the season playing. Uh, so he didn't have, you know, all those tune-up games, the Norfolk State and Ball States of this world. Um, but as we've come down the stretch, he has caught more and more criticism on Twitter and frankly, his numbers have continued to decline. So, I mean, what is going on with Zach Fremantle? And uh, I mean, 
is he a positive contributor for this team right now? Yeah, I think one of the reasons he's caught so much flack on Twitter is that he's not a positive contributor for this team right now. Uh, his O rating is 99.9. Uh, D1 average is 103.6. So he's a you know a below average offensive player. And that hasn't even really been the problem. Uh, the problem has been that he has been so bad defensively. Um, it's been obvious that teams have been game planning to isolate and take advantage of him. Uh, Travis Steele has tried to hide him in the zone a couple times. And uh, Seton Hall did a good job of overloading and then getting movement to get a guy onto his side of the zone where he would have to go match up with him. and. Uh, you know, that turned into buckets. I don't know if, uh, you know, the surgery set him back foot speed wise, if he just doesn't have uh, faith in what he's doing defensively right now. Uh, but he has looked super lost. And uh, the guys and gals on Big East benches who get paid to notice those kinds of things have. And he has been getting lit up. Uh, you know, we ran a post earlier this week that basically said, uh, by any defensive measure, uh, whether it's metrics that are real difficult to understand or the eye test that's super easy to understand. He's been Xavier's worst defender. Uh, I haven't gotten any pushback. I, everybody loves to argue on Twitter and on the internet in general. Nobody has pushed back against the idea that uh, Fremantle's been real bad at defense lately. Uh, you know, Travis Steele has had to address it in a couple of pressers, and uh, he's just basically said Zach's not closing out aggressively enough. Steele... Um, at least in front of the press, talks about how he trusts Zach. Zach's got real good feet on defense. He's just got to, you know, lock in. But he has been as unlocked in as I've ever seen somebody defensively to the point where it's been untenable. And, you know, Steele ran him out when the game had about a 99.9% .9 win probability for Xavier against Georgetown. And uh, Fremantle got gashed a couple times, picked up a couple cheap fouls, and went right back out to the bench. Kind of the problem here is uh, Butler plays with two bigs. Uh, Providence, if Xavier gets by Butler, is goes big across the front. Uh, Watson, Croswell, uh, Horkler, who, boy, I can't wait until he graduates. And uh, even Manaya are big lads. Xavier's going to need to be able to play two big men on the floor at the same time. And uh, if Zach Fremantle cannot defend and he's not rebounding particularly well, uh, those big man minutes are going to have to come from maybe Jerome Hunter. And I know that's an idea that doesn't excite anybody. Or, uh, you know, Cesar Edwards. I think he has given himself. I think he's earned the opportunity to at least go out there and use all five fouls that the good Lord allotted him. And I honestly wouldn't mind seeing that uh, because he plays with energy. He flies around. He obviously hunts shots. And uh, it looks like he at least makes it difficult for the other team to score. Um, but I'm I'm hopeful something clicks for Zach. Uh, but if it doesn't, Coach Steele is going to have his hands full figuring out how to match up with one and maybe two big teams in the Big East tournament uh, with a with a four man who can't defend. I, don't we have a four man who can defend like really, really super well and is really athletic? And we spent like the first 13 games of the season talking about also. I, I hate to do this on a podcast that most people are going to be listening to recorded, but have you guys seen what is going on in the Wagner Bryant game? Uh, Joel described Peter Kiss as a fight on site, and somebody, 
has gone ahead and taken that to uh, the literal level. The game's been stopped with 4.37 to play for almost 20 minutes because the Bryant student section and the Wagner parents section have gotten into a literal fist fight. Uh, we have police on the court. It's not good. There's going to be reflection sections. Reflection <laughs> sessions, guys. People need to think about this. I think that's what happens when you take a guy who looks like 2011 Machine Gun Kelly and let him do pull-ups <laughs> on the floor during a game. Uh, this is this is some wild stuff. I'm assuming they'll call it because uh, the end is not in doubt. I was pulling for Alex Morales to get to over 20 from the floor. It's still a 68-32 game. But uh, that little brief cut in because this is not one of the good parts of championship week. This is a home game for Bryant, by the way. Um, why is Deontay Miles not playing? I've not heard that he's hurt. Um, he's not seemed hurt when he's out there. Xavier was objectively better when he was playing instead of Zach Fremantle, but instead it, he's just vanished. Do you guys have any insight into that? I there's got to be something going on physically because I can't imagine it's strategic. Like you could say Deontay Miles doesn't stretch a defense, but I'm not thinking Zach's eight of 39 from behind the arc is a threat. Honestly, um, the defense is probably more happy to let him stand out there and chuck hopeless bombs at the rim than they are to try to have to defend Deontay in like a high low with uh, Jack Nungy. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because it's not, I mean, offensively, it's not a floor spacing issue because, like I said, it just doesn't freaking matter. And defensively, I mean, Deontay does foul almost seven times per 40 minutes, which is not optimal. But, you know, at least he makes them earn it from the line, I guess. I I wouldn't mind seeing a Twin Towers set up with him and uh, Nunji out there, especially against Butler. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wish I had a better answer for you. We can cut yeah. this whole thing out and just talk about the fight some more. <laughs> the other thing to consider with Miles, and I have no uh, insight as to why he's not played, but he's played nine minutes in 2022. <laughs> now you're playing games with your entire season on the line. Is it viable to put a dude who's played nine minutes in the last, you know, two and a half months? out there um so if he's not hurt i i think that's been mishandled a bit because now it's the business end of the season when you want to be playing your best ball and you have a guy who potentially could be important for your team who is at the very least rusty if not injured um so it was also interesting this week ben stanley went from having his career revived to not playing at all again um even against georgetown when you know they're throwing walk-ons on the floor stanley and miles were not among the xavier players to appear so i don't know what's going on with those two guys um but it would be nice <laughs> to to have them available um so anyway um we move on to uh what a lot of people have said is the best new segment um, Xavier Player of the Week, this week's theme song, Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi, obviously. Um, so, Joel, who is your Xavier Player of the Week? I mean, it's to me, it is an obvious choice to go with Nate Johnson. Uh, 
I've debated calling him Nasty Nate Johnson just because of uh, some of the things he does when he's knocking down threes, but he just he looks too happy. Uh, Tyreek Jones dished out the meanest mugs you can imagine. Nate Johnson looks like after the game he'd pat you on the back and you know thank you for playing. But his uh, ten of twenty from deep this week. Uh, if he shoots 50% from behind the arc, I think Xavier's got a pretty good chance going forward. I don't think he even necessarily needs to go 7 and level 11 every game. If he just hits half the threes he throws up there, uh, X is a whole different team. You could see it against Georgetown, the way the ball moved. Um, you know, I don't know how many assists were sacrificed on the altar of missing wide open threes uh, when Nate was out. But when he starts hitting, obviously good passes don't just turn into good efforts, but those are uh, legitimate statistical assists. And Xavier had 32 dimes on 35 made buckets against Georgetown. And one of the, I'm sorry, two of the three unassisted baskets were stickbacks. So the team's just better when Nate's out there. They play better ball. They have a better process and they get better outcomes. And, um, you know, Georgetown is the reason that Xavier beat Georgetown because Georgetown is bad at basketball. But uh, Nate Johnson is the reason that Xavier looks so good doing it. Okay. Um, Brad, who have you gone with? I, I've also gone with Nate Johnson. I don't see how you can pick anybody else. Um, I won't belabor it by saying all the stuff that Joel just did. Xavier needs Nate Johnson to play well, to move forward. That's it, and that's all. Okay, well, I have also gone with Nate Johnson. Um, was tempted to make it a Colby Jones a three-peat for me, uh, but um, just the way Nate Johnson played against Georgetown, I mean, he was uh, he was immense. Uh, he made the difference in that game, and that game was not particularly close. That's how good he was. Um, scored 25 points in 31 minutes, um, four assists, no turnovers. It was crazy good. Um, no one needs me to tell them that. I think everyone who watched that game was like, wow, this fella seems to be good at basketball. So, uh, yeah, for me, it, it was Nate Johnson. It's clean sweep. It's clean sweep, folks, much like Xavier's uh, clean sweep of the, the Big East tournament that's coming up this week. Um, and speaking of the Big East tournament, um, stunningly, they're having all 11 teams play. Uh, Brad, would you have invited Georgetown? Um, well, you should ask Joel because he's the one about better with figuring out bracket permutations and things like that. And I don't, does it mess the bracket up if they don't play or I don't know. That seems like a real mathy question, but just on the face of it, no. I think maybe Georgetown should have played in the NEC tournament to see if they could beat Bryant slash cause a huge fight. I mean, it wouldn't mess up the bracket. It would just make Seton Hall not have to play on Wednesday night to play the game against UConn on Thursday night that we all know they're going to play. <laughs> so I don't know. if you're Kevin Willard, do you, I mean, do you dress the JV for this one? <laughs> uh, anyway, so you laugh, you laugh, but as a guy who played some JV minutes, I would really be hoping that the coach did that. I'd be walking past the, the office like loudly saying like yeah probably going to be plenty of garbage time to go around tonight and stuff like that you know well coach since i'm here uh 
You know, I, I was thinking I could sit next to you, maybe put my uniform on, things like that. I mean, I'm campaigning to get in that game because you know it's going to be a blowout. And it, you at least want to be able to tell your significant other and your parents, like, hey, look for me on the bench. I'm at least going to be there. So, I mean, yeah, dressing the JV is funny and everything, but this is definitely the time to do it. Get those dudes out there. Let's start the walk-ons and then move down from there. <laughs> if I'm a Seton Hall student, and it doesn't matter if I'm on the basketball team or not. I am routing my path to class all week past Kevin Willard's office, just in case he's like, you know what? It's Willy Wonka ticket time. I'm taking one lucky student with me. Um, but that's just me and uh, an idea for Kevin Willard. So, um, Kev, if you're listening, you know, it, it, it would really invigorate the, the student body, I think. Um, but anyway... Um, the games Wednesday are Butler versus Xavier, DePaul, St. John's, and then Georgetown, Seton Hall. Um, so those are uh, to to play into the quarterfinals on Thursday. But, I mean, who do you guys – is it – Providence is the one seed, um, which Providence fans um, apparently get irate if you point out they won the championship of the Big East without winning the most games in the Big East. Um, which is a true statement. So I don't know why it would make them mad unless they maybe think that they're not actually the best team in the Big East. But I'm not saying that. I'm no one saying that Providence isn't the best team in the Big East. It's they did not win the most games in the Big East, though. That's a fact. So um, I think Brad's saying that when he tweeted I, I, Providence won the Big East, but Villanova is the best team. I think yes, I might get to when Providence is that. not in the Big East. I will own that. Providence is about as good as Seton Hall. Um, they played well. They won close games. Kudos to them for that. I don't understand why their fans are upset. Winning the Big East is awesome, and you shouldn't apologize for it. Don't get mad because some dude points out that, you know, you lost to Villanova twice. Congrats. I mean, you still won the championship. You guys have the banner and everything. There's no need to be angry. But, no, they're not the best team. And I think to answer the question – that you were getting around to asking this thing still goes through Villanova until Villanova stops being Villanova. Um, I, they are the cream of the crop. And I think the second best team is probably UConn. Yeah. To be honest, that's what I was looking at is if, if UConn handles Seton hall and Villanova handles what I presume will be St. John's. I'm going to push back against that presumption. Uh, DePaul has split with St. John's uh, their last time out. They played an 84 possession regulation game that DePaul won. Uh, they can play that pace. Uh, Javon Freeman Liberty is a really, really good basketball player. Who's one of those guys that has the potential to have, um, you know, one somewhere between one and four incandescent nights where he just carries the team. Uh, St. John's they're they're a team where their fans much like Xavier fans are all just waiting for kind of the, the other shoe to drop. They don't think their team is very good. And there's some information that might back up that assessment. Uh, you know, I like DePaul as a sneaky contender, uh, basically to win one game. They're not going to beat Villanova, but um, I think Javon Freeman Liberty and some of the other guys that they have, I think David Jones is a guy who can go off. Uh, Jalen Terry is a, a tough guard. 
and uh, Nick Angenda gives them a little bit of rim protection. Uh, you know, I would not punch St. John's ticket to get thumped by Villanova. I think DePaul has every chance to uh, win the right to get thumped by Villanova. Interesting. I'm just, I see the name DePaul and uh, no, I don't. They're wearing DePaul's uniforms and thus are a bad basketball. <laughs> so I don't know what your numbers say, um, but I'm looking at the DePaul logo on their uniforms and I don't think they're going to do it. <laughs> I don't think they got it. Uh, that's just me. No. So, yeah, it, I mean, that Thursday night semifinal then would be, in theory, Villanova, UConn. Although, I'll say this, Seton Hall, if I'm a UConn fan, gives me some reservations about looking ahead to that semifinal. They split with UConn this season, and they also have um, a couple guys who, if they get hot, can can drag you through a game. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think we are all going with Villanova as the favorite. Is that? Yeah, I think we yeah. can sign on to that. Joel has kind of DePaul as much of a dark horse as you can be when you're almost certainly going to lose if you win a game. <laughs> I, I actually like Seton Hall as a bit of a dark horse, Brad. I mean, it's an 11-team league, and we've already ruled out Georgetown. And Joel <laughs> picked DePaul and Seton Hall. So who's your dark horse? Uh, this is going to be real homery. But if Nate Johnson's shooting like he is, uh, and he keeps that going, then Xavier is my dark horse. Um, Xavier should beat Butler. I'm not saying that they will, but Xavier should beat Butler. Xavier took Providence to triple overtime without Nate Johnson going 7 of 11 from behind the arc. Um, I think that is an eminently winnable game. And that sets up a semifinal against either Creighton or Marquette, um, both teams that Xavier has already beaten this year. Again, you know, I'm not saying they're going to do that. And they did just come off of a stretch where they went 0 for 5 and then beat a team that um, is so bad they're not really even the butt of jokes. They've reached kind of pity level. Uh, but I'm sticking with my when Nate Johnson is hot, this team can beat almost anybody. That includes Butler, Providence, and either Creighton or Marquette. I'm not sure it includes Villanova, though, um, even if you don't play that game in Philadelphia. But I, I think if Nate's healthy and he's shooting well, X is your best bet, I think, for a dark horse contender. Um, I can see both you and Joel's points on DePaul. I would just hesitate to ever advance DePaul until, like, they change their name. If they just call themselves, like, University in Chicago or something, then I might think. But once you throw those DePaul jerseys on, you just lose. It's... Maybe they could uh, just cover up their DePaul jerseys. Does Coach Tony Stubblefield, does he have any experience with cover-ups that could maybe come in handy here? hey Yeah, but seriously, uh, since we haven't mentioned it in a while, Tony Stubblefield covers up sexual assault. Remember when you created a generic team in NBA Live and it would just be like a blue jersey with a white number? Maybe if DePaul did that, uh, that'd be the thing to do. And then all of a sudden, their talented players could play without the stigma of playing for DePaul. Dude, I spent more time customizing my jerseys in NBA Live than playing basketball. 
<laughs> I think our, our parents were probably like concerned about me. They were like, well, he likes basketball games, but for the fashion aspect. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to throw out that that's probably not the only or even primary reason our parents were concerned about you during your developmental years. Uh, <laughs> like, this does not make any sense. Why doesn't he just use a sketch pad? Um, <laughs> so. With that being said, um, really any of, you know, the top like 10 teams in the Big East have a shot in, at, at the automatic bid. Um, where do you guys see the Big East teams being seated in the NCAA tournament? Right now, the Big East um, um, bracketologists is projected to get six teams in. Um, Creighton is not that close to the cut line. I think Creighton... St. John's to Paul Butler or Georgetown would need the automatic bid. Um, and, and I don't know if one of those gets the automatic bid, if if Marquette is going to drop. Do you guys not think Creighton would need the automatic bid? No, I think if you hit no. Control-F on the bracket matrix and then type in Creighton, I think probably what you've done is spelled it C-R-A-Y, uh, but actually they're looking like a uh, 10 seed in the bracket matrix. So I think uh, just to kind of pick up the ball, you fumbled and run with it, much like Carl Mecklenburg. Uh, oh, come on. <laughs> I don't know why I am the way I am. Uh, you know, I think we're looking at probably a seven-bid league here, especially if Xavier takes care of business against Butler. I think the Muskies are the team in the most danger. Uh, what's interesting here. Um, it's just the amount of potential mobility you're looking at. Um, basically, once you get out of those uh, Wednesday games, should, if you're anywhere close to the bubble, if you win uh, Thursday, Friday, and or Saturday, you've probably added two or three Q1 games to your resume. Uh, Creighton at a, a 10 right now, and Marquette at an 8. One of them is going to pick up a Q1 win this tournament. And uh, that might be enough to give them a significant jump. Uh, if a team like Xavier gets hot or Seton Hall, after a perfunctory beat down at Georgetown, does something like knocking off, uh, you know, a couple more teams and making the final, you know, they might be looking at climbing it. So from Tuesday night when we're recording this to Selection Sunday, uh, a team could dramatically refurbish its resume uh there's not a whole lot uh, especially after you get past wednesday there's not a whole lot of negative potential left you know nobody is going to torpedo their resume uh, it's just a, a question of how high you can climb uh, before either you win that auto bid or somebody finally knocks you off so uh, a lot of potential upward mobility to be had in the big east and I don't think it's unreasonable that when the dust settles, you're you're seeing seven of these 11 teams hearing their names called on Selection Sunday. Yeah, I think uh, what you want to do is avoid, obviously, those 7, 10, or 8, 9 games because that lands you in a really bad spot in the second round should you win. I think Creighton can dig themselves out of there. I think Marquette can. I Unless Xavier really makes a run, I think that, that's kind of what they're looking at, um, or even an 11 seed. And I think, frankly, an 11 seed might stand you in better stead for a deeper run 
if you, even if you do have to face a tougher um, first round opponent. By the way, if Xavier were to move up to an 11, a current projected six seed is Ohio State. Um, Ohio State's also kind of staggering down the stretch. I think Nova uh, is probably going to end up around a two. I think Connecticut could end up in a protected bid situation. Uh, the league is is really good. You get seven of 11 in, hopefully, hopefully. Um, and you could have a couple of top seeds in there as well. Um, I think the Big East is is looking good for the tournament and looking good to have some high seeds in there. And like Joel said, they got a chance to really have some teams jump up the seed lines here this week as well because the team has such or because the conference has such strength and depth. So Providence is kind of an interesting one for me because uh, basically everywhere has them projected as a four seed. Um, if they, I mean, even if they make the semifinal, say they win their first game against either Xavier or Butler, um, if they lose in the semifinal, is there any reason to think that they would make a protected seed? I mean, does Providence have to win twice to be a protected seed in the NCAA Man, if you're saying if they beat Xavier or Butler, so you're saying if they pick up either A, a Q1 win, or B, a Q3 win, and that is a huge, um, you know, span of value in the win. Basically, like we've discussed with Xavier, uh, the value in beating Butler is just that you didn't lose to Butler, whereas the value in beating X for Providence would be, you know, that takes them from, Five and three to six and three in Q1. Right now, Xavier and Providence have the same amount of Q1 wins. Uh, but more to your point, I think, and this may just be me projecting, but I think probably uh, reputable, reputable bracketologists the world around are looking for a reason to drop Providence. Uh, they have excellent like wins above bubble or strength of record or whatever you want to call it numbers. They do not have like protected seed level computer numbers. And that's because so many of their wins have been close and a handful of their losses have been um, absolute drubbings. So uh, say, um, you know, the fates align and Providence loses their first game. I think that might be a reason for uh, people to, in effect, say, I told you they were paper tigers and drop them somewhere. Uh, you know, if they continue to win in overtime and by one possession and, uh, you know, ride that to a win or two in the Big East tournament, then, yeah, I think they can get pretty solidly into the protected seating. But I think they probably have as much to prove as anybody who is already easily in the tournament and looking at a high seed uh, this week. It's weird to look at a 24 and four team and be like, these guys really got something to prove. They've only been playing in the third or fourth best conference all year and won it. But yeah, I, they just, their metrics are so weird um, that you just wonder if at some point the wheels come off or di at this point, the wheels don't even come off. They just lose in upset fashion. And that's that. And it's a vintage Ed Cooley, you know, Tremendous team in the regular season and dumped out before the Sweet 16. 
Huh. That would be interesting. Now, that would make Twitter.com an interesting place if that happens. Anyway. <laughs> um, so all that to say, I don't know where anybody's going to get seated uh, because there's still, you know, a lot of basketball to be played before Selection Sunday. Um, big shrug from me. Uh, I guess we haven't really talked about Seton Hall. I'm just going to guess they're six seed. There you go. Now we've predicted it. Um, what is... This is our final question. So obviously we've we've waxed eloquent about how great championship week is. What is the best conference tournament game you've ever seen, Brad? Um, I think I'm probably going to take the one that jumps to everybody's mind, and that's going to be the 2009 Connecticut Syracuse uh, six OT game. That was in the infancy of the explosion of social media, and Semi shortly after I got out of college, kind of, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. almost, most of my friends in college adjacent school. life. Right. Yeah. I mean, okay. So I had just gotten out of law school then, so I still felt collegey. Um, most of my friends were still college basketball players or people who liked college basketball, and it felt like every post on the social media I had, and I know one of them was Facebook. I don't even know if Twitter was a thing yet was about that game. It felt to me like the whole world was watching. Um, unfortunately Syracuse won it, but that was just an incredible, incredible game. It ended 127 to 117. Uh, one of the best games of basketball I've ever watched. Just something you could not take your eyes off for a second didn't quite reach the levels of like say Wagner Bryant fighting in the stands, but uh, a great game. One that I think that as my synapses fire for the last time in this earthly coil, I hope I'm remembering something about that game. It was, it was that good. And also there's a lot of stuff in my life. I don't want to remember. So I'd like to stick with a six overtime college basketball game, you know? Well, now I want to know what the stuff you don't want to remember is. Does it involve that media for banter after dark? the Parkway Knights. <laughs> um, all right, Joel, what about you? Well, I mean, obviously that was one. Uh, this is heavily recency biased, but Chattanooga Furman, I think, will end up having a, a case in this. One of the things I like about the smaller school conference tournaments is that these guys know that it is win this game or do nothing. Like you're if you're in the Big East tournament, the bulk of the teams, uh, when it gets late, are playing for seeding. And you know, the Creighton Marquette game, neither of these teams is gonna be sweating out selection Sunday. If it gets to the point where it's like, you know, Villanova and Yukon are playing each other, they're trying to add to their resume. But if they lose, it's not the last game of the year. Um, in the the Chattanooga Furman game, the I mean, those guys knew every shot was swinging not just their win probability but their probability of playing in the tournament that every every basketball player dreams of playing in one day and that i mean that is huge and it's in, incredible to watch and uh, you know we broke it down earlier but just the swings in that game it looked like Furman had it by the throat at halftime and then it looked like Chattanooga had buried them and then Furman dragged back into it. And then uh, 
you know, what should have been a game-winning shot trumped by a, a game-winning-er shot. It was just incredible. Uh, the other one I thought of, and this is homerism, this was not a great game of basketball objectively, but it was Xavier versus St. Joseph's when uh, Xavier was on the run and St. Joe's was undefeated and uh, Xavier beat the brakes off of him. I was like beyond nervous for this game because I didn't think Xavier was going to go to the tournament if they didn't win this game. And, uh, you know, it it started up and it was immediately over. Uh, you know, X basically ran an undefeated team off the court. I, uh, you know, went ahead and looked it up today when I saw this question on the script. ESPN.com's write-up on this game is almost all about St. Joe's, even though they lost by 20 and were never in the game. You got to get eight paragraphs into the recap before it mentions anything that Xavier did. And then it is one sentence before it goes back to talking about St. Joe's and how the game made their guys feel. But um, the hemispheres of my brain fused watching this game. I'll like Brad talks about his synapses firing when he dies. Um, you know, I've been to a seer and my death involves a train and no synapses will be firing. They'll just be a spread out all over a very large area. But this is a, a memory for me. This is just an incredible game, uh, a Xavier team that I love. And as far as conference tournament memories go, that is the the peak of the genre. You know, the platonic ideal of what can happen in a conference tourney. Were you watching that game or did you catch most of it like on your phone updates? Were you at a baseball practice for that or a baseball game? I'm trying to remember. I I was going into the dugout to uh, read text messages to get the the updates on this game. Because I I was was technically a member of the baseball team. I didn't play much, but the coach in return for me getting a uniform, I was obligated to show up. And uh, so, you know, they, you couldn't watch it on your phone back in my day, but you could get text message updates. And like every update was more surreal than the previous one for me. And, you know, I don't even remember anything that happened baseball wise, but uh, I was ecstatic as I, I tracked this game develop. And in my mind, Xavier was punching their ticket, and I didn't know at the time that that wasn't even the uh, the high water mark of what was a, an incredible run for the Muskies. I thought that was the case because I remember I was watching it um, with I was dating my now wife at the time, and I was stress eating those flaming hot Cheetos had just came out, and I was like eating a bag of those. I jumped up at one point in time and left a flaming hot Cheeto handprint on the roof of her apartment or the ceiling of her apartment. Cause I was so excited. I also later in the game, cut the knuckles on my other hand on the ceiling. It was one of those where like, that was an awesome, awesome game. Uh, what's your memory, Bri? So, um, I also like the 06 St. Joseph's game in the a 10 tournament. Um, because Xavier had to have that one to get in uh, because it was the A-10 championship game and they had to win the auto bid that year. Um, And uh, Justin Dolman went to the line to ice it. And before he'd even shot a free throw, Stanley Burrell was celebrating um, (laughs) because he knew those were good and uh, Xavier was going to win 62-61. But 
overall, I, the first conference tournament game I remember like getting excited for was the 1996 Big East final because I didn't. It was hard to follow college basketball back then, especially because we didn't have cable. Um, but <laughs> everybody knew were Ray Allen and Allen Iverson, and they were facing off in Madison Square Garden in the Big East Tournament final. Um, as I recall, neither of them actually played particularly well, but it I, like. That was the first time I remember being like, man, this is going to be an awesome game. And that was one of those that was for seeding because I think they were both really, really good that year. Um, but it, it's probably the first time I remember getting pumped up for a conference tournament game. And um, I think a lot of people probably look at that as uh, an emblematic game of that time, which, you know, was my formative years. And makes it all the more of a shame that Georgetown is what it is now, because looking back at that game, um, I mean, that served up a memory that I think has kind of fostered a love for college basketball for a lot of people. So um, hopefully, you know, I don't know, AI did not use all of his eligibility and I would be in favor of just letting him come back and play another year. You know, I liked watching him play. Georgetown needs the help. Who says no? The man has glasses and gray hair now. I saw him at that NBA 75th thing. And I mean, you want to talk about shocking. He looks distinguished. I mean, he still looks like Allen Iverson, but you're like, oh, that's a pretty respectable gentleman. And I'm like, holy cow. I mean, this is a guy who turned the NBA on his head by the way he dressed coming up and everything and i'm like man me and ai both got old <laughs> <laughs> he, he looks like he's aging gently though um there were a lot of rumors swirling around him that he wasn't doing so well and financially and personally and uh, obviously i don't have a lot of firsthand knowledge of alan iverson's life but he he looks like he's ended up in an in an okay spot and he's just got a real kind of elder statesman of basketball vibe, which I don't know that you would have predicted when like the NBA was putting in a dress code and he was ranting about practice, but um, everybody, at least everybody that I want, that I knew playing basketball wanted to have a crossover like AI. Um, nobody that I knew actually did have one, but it wasn't <laughs> for lack of trying. And uh, yeah, he was, he was iconic. I was a Google it kids. I uh I was I wanted to cross over like God Sham God. So Oh my. And just... yeah, I wanted I wanted a sham god like God Sham God. Um but I always hurt myself when I try to do that and now I'm an old man. So that's passed Actually, me by. I'd have settled for a crossover like freaking Keith Van Horn or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, my my game was headbands and tall socks. Somebody kick out, and I'm going to take some set shots. Let's be real here. Oh, playing in that long sleeve t-shirt all the time. Man, I, the sham guy. I've not heard somebody mention that since Russell Westbrook did it in a game. We are really, by the way, deep into the basketball weeds here, because I'm guessing most people don't even know what that is. <laughs> uh, a lot of people have turned this, this podcast off, or whatever you do with podcasts. 
not listen when it gets to this point. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, Tune in next week when we break down a uh, scattered report of Rafer Alston. Oh, my. Skip to my loo. Right. I mean, you'd throw it to me and I'd yell Marbury, but what I was really <laughs> going to do is take one dribble to my left and shoot immediately. <laughs> because... <laughs> Anyway, um, all right. Well, that is it for uh, this week. Um, obviously, Xavier will be in action, uh, trying to uh, trying to redeem the season here, and uh, they'll be in action on Wednesday at four thirty against Butler. And um, further bulletins as events warrant. So we will be back with you guys next week. Um, win, lose, or draw, um, and we will be looking ahead to the best the best weekend of the year. Uh, first round of the NCAA tournament. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, we hope to catch you then. Stevie Franchise!